Asian Hustle Network is proudly partnering with Lexus to host a podcast series for Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We'll feature leaders and creators in the community whose contributions inspire us, like startup founder Emma Hong Guo, who will discuss startups and entrepreneurship. Emma, we're so excited to have you in the podcast today. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Likewise, I'm super excited to be here. Of course, Emma. Please tell us about yourself and a quick file, your background story. You want to hear more? Okay, so I'm the co-founder and CEO of Offside with Y, and I've been running the company for a little over two years, which is hard to believe. Before that, I was I worked as an engineer, then engineering manager for about a decade in SFA area. And then that's that's the quick summary. And before that, I was I grew up in China and I came to the U.S. for grad school. And then yeah, that's awesome, right? Hearing that you worked in the engineering background for ten years, that's really good to hear because I think in some ways it does provide a basis for what you're doing right now, right? The structure, yeah, definitely. Need. And I want to hear more. Yeah, I want to hear more about that too because. Yeah. Sometimes I realize with my international friends, a lot of them hesitate to become entrepreneurs because of the H one H HS was it something visa right H one B H one B visa. So, sorry about that. So a lot of people are hesitant because essentially you're gonna have to give that up for uncertainty, for the possibility of you know building your business as high risk and possibly deportation to the country, right? Yeah. So I want to hear about your side of the story and what, like, what was the catalyst for you to like make that jump? Yeah, so that's really interesting. So for me, um, I when I worked as an engineer, then engineer manager, life was good. Like I was really happy. So before Offsite, I worked at Lyft for like five years. Like Lyft had an amazing culture. I was working with people I really enjoy working with. I even be friends with. We hung out and we like, work on all these cool product features and my career was, you know, growing all that stuff. And I really just, I did not have the urge to start my own company for the sake of starting a company, be an entrepreneur. I think what ended happening was I actually had an idea of Offsite about two years before I made the jump. I really got to the point where I felt like I have to do this. If I don't do it and someone else does this and a few years, I see that I'll feel like just so lame that I did not make that jump and just give it my all. And so that's what made me do that jump. And it was like scary because I felt like, you know, my career was like going really well. Like, why would I just like completely choose a different path? And that was already like, you see all the stories of people starting their company when they're like 19 or like in college. And I'm already like 10 years into being like an engineer, the manager. So it was a little scary. Yeah, I bet. I mean, similar to you, I, I worked as a software engineer for about 10 years too. Oh, wow. <laughs> and yeah. to make that jump, it's, I feel like it has a lot, it has to do a lot more with how you view yourself. And a lot of that has to do with how your parents view you. Yeah. Right. Because you know how Asian parents are. It's like you're highly successful if you make a lot of money. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, but, true. My, my parents are actually very supportive. So they are, they're in China. They're both electrical engineer backgrounds, which is also why I studied electrical engineering in college. But I think, yeah, so when I eventually, when I told them like, hey, I think I'm going to leave my full-time job and start this company, my parents are like, 
yeah, go do it. You're like young, like just go try it. We're here to support you. And my parents, I think one of the first questions they asked was like, do you need money? Can we support you in any way? <laughs> yeah. Your parents are so supportive. I think I told my, my parents when I quit to start Asian Hustle Network, they didn't yeah. talk to me for like six months. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But now they're probably really proud. Yeah, they're slightly prouder, but it's funny. <laughs> I was literally home like, you know, last week and my mom was like, so are you coming back to a corporate job soon? I'm like, <laughs> mom, I've been doing this for almost two and a half, three years. <laughs> Why would I want to come back? <laughs> nice. Well, your mom will slowly get there. <laughs> no, it's just the, the immigrant mentality, right? They're always afraid of like high risk. But again, a lot of them sacrifice a lot for us, right? Totally. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I also feel like there's really nothing wrong with like staying in corporate jobs. There's a lot of Asians staying at big companies in tag and they're doing really really well yeah i have nothing against it you know i think that so a lot of people view entrepreneurship as like this upstream thing right Where every day you're working your dreams you travel you meet cool people and it keeps going up and up and up but as we know the curve goes up and down and up and down left and right sometimes oh. you take two steps forward and five steps back absolutely like, oh my god so talk walk through your experience becoming an entrepreneur right and kind of give our listeners like a better better point of view where it's like, what was your day-to-day like as you're working your job? And what was the transition like? And did you quit your job called Turkey to work on this? Or did you <laughs> give yourself time to be like, what work should I jump? What was the thought process like? Yeah, totally. Maybe I can start by uh, sharing a little bit more about what Offsite does and then everything will make sense. <laughs> so Offsite is an end-to-end event platform for corporate teams. Uh, so essentially, it's the platform where you can go discover and easily book any kind of team building events, virtual and in-person SF area. So anything from a simple like a magic show or something like a uh, cooking class where you get a kit that's shipped to everybody before the class. And it's all about team bonding, team building, morale, all that stuff. So idea came to me about like two years before I started the company. It was because uh, while I was working at Lyft and even before Lyft, every single company I worked at, we had team events regularly. And this is something nobody ever wants to plan, but everybody really wants to go because the planning process is really painful. Like you do, like you're an engineer or manager, like you have your day job, you're like writing code, you're doing all this stuff. And suddenly you need to like call like five different vendors, figuring out what's the pricing, time, logistics. So I had to do that just repeatedly over and over and over again. And I was like, man, how come there isn't like just a centralized marketplace for this? Another pain point was like, you never want to do the same thing twice. Like we did, uh, I remember we did a pottery making class one time and it was like so much fun, but nobody wanted to do it again because they're always looking for new things. Um, so then what ended up happening is like you just Google around or you ask other teams like, oh, what did you guys do? So you're like, they're like, oh, we did, I don't know, like woodworking. So you're like, oh, that's a good idea. But this process you can see is like super manual. So I did that so long so many times i'm like okay i have to like start this marketplace to solve this problem but i didn't i was like i'm enjoying my life as engineering manager like i'm doing so well and then i just got reminded of this issue every time we had to do this so at some point i just thought okay 
I have to just, I just have to do it. And I know like some people would actually, I would also <laughs> recommend, you know, kind of putting a lot of effort into your startup idea and kind of have a prototype going and everything before you leave your full-time job. But that did not apply to me. I'm the kind of person when I work on something, I'm like all in. So while I was at Lyft, I'm like all in. And I actually didn't have time to like put too much effort into this idea. So that's when I decided, okay, I'm just going to have to make the jump. I have to just do this full time, put all my effort, everything into it. And that was December 2019. So the idea back then was to launch this marketplace, this platform for in-person team events in SF Bay Area. So as you can imagine, three months into that, COVID happened. <laughs> and I remember I was sitting at home thinking, man, people say starting a company is hard, but I'm trying to start an event platform for in-person events during COVID. Like, like that's as hard as it gets. Like nobody's going to want to do in-person events while COVID is happening. But so yeah, so that was that. And then well, like we quickly pivoted Fast forward two years now, like we have so many customers. A lot of the big companies you've heard of are our customers already. We have crazy reviews and everything. And yeah, so it's been like wild journey. I mean, that's really inspiring to hear, but also that sounds pretty painful starting <laughs> an in-person event during the pandemic. Out of curiosity, like how did you keep your company afloat? And like, how did you pivot during those times? Because you're right, right? There's little demand or basically the government will let you host any events around the world during the pandemic. Yeah. How did you keep the company afloat during that time? Yeah, well, our <laughs> our burn rate was very low. It was zero because I wasn't drawing a salary. <laughs> so no, so all joking aside, I think, you know, the burn rate was obviously very low, but also we were, my co-founder and I were working on this idea, but we haven't actually launched yet. So in a way, I think it would have been a lot worse if we have launched in-person events publicly, then COVID happened. So we were about to launch, but we actually hasn't gone public with it yet. What I loved about this whole experience was before COVID happened, I literally uh, went to like the studios of the vendors in Asav. They're like, yes, we're going to do this thing. They're like, this is awesome. Excited for your idea. Glad to be part of your beta vendor group. We were already then when COVID happened. We had to pivot and they had to pivot. So throughout this process, throughout the past two years, you see how resilient these small business owners are. Some of our vendors, they have never done virtual events before. Now they love virtual events. They do so well that over the past two years, they doubled their staff They, in order to handle the volume of virtual events. And then two months ago, we launched in-person events in Asafari again. So Obviously, as you can imagine, all of our beta vendors are so excited that we're bringing back in person again. So it just feels like a really wholesome experience to go through this together. Yeah. Congratulations. You know, it's, it's very awesome to hear about the power of perseverance. And for our listeners, if you guys don't know what the burn rate is, a burn rate is essentially your monthly spending each company to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> So it's it's usually kind of important in the startup world to hear about burn rate because like how much money you have to make because obviously you run out of money either you make more money or you raise more money, right? Exactly. Yeah, so I'm happy to hear that you were able to pull through during the pandemic, right? And what makes this podcast so special because I think that 
I think you and I quit our jobs around the same time. It started our <laughs> companies at the same time. Yeah. So it's wow. Very relatable to what you went through and what similar experience to what me and my co-founders went through as well. It's like, okay, it's really yeah. cool, right? Because I feel like at the time, there's a lot of uncertainty and obviously a lot of doubt, right? Am I, you're going to ask yourself the question, like, could I do this? Can I do this? And you start thinking about, did I leave my job too prematurely? <laughs> Should I just <laughs> stuck it through the pandemic? Everyone's working at home anyways, <laughs> right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. So walk us through like some of your, your doubts that you have as a founder and you still have as a founder, right? Because I feel like there's not enough stories shared about the founder hero arc where it's constant pressure, doubt, excitement wins. But I feel like oftentimes there's more bad days and good days. <laughs> there's people definitely the, a lot of up and downs. People see the good days, but not really the bad days. So let's talk about your your ups and downs and pivoting and because yeah. when you, you share your story, it sounds, it sounds a little bit too easy, right? I want to get more <laughs> depth into it. What were you actually feeling? <laughs> I'm surprised that it's not easy, right? It wasn't yeah. easy at all. Yeah. Happy to share. So one story that comes to mind was one. So we're, we're a two-sided marketplace in order to launch the product you have to at least have supply. In our case, are the vendors who host these events. So our step one was to recruit enough beta vendors to be on the platform. I remember this is like beginning of 2020. I was going to different studios and making phone calls and tell people about this idea. There's this one phone call. It's still just like so vividly imprinted in my head because this vendor... So he has like a small business in SF and we thought he would be like one of the perfect fit for our, for our platform. So I remember making a phone call to him and introducing myself and telling him about this idea that we're going to launch. And he paused for like five seconds. And then he said, this is literally the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> But not in like a funny way, but like he was literally just like very, very like, this is horrible. Like, I'm not interested, like such a bad idea. And he went on to tell me like, do you know COVID? We're not going to do in-person events. This is a bad idea. And then bam, he hung up. And afterwards, I felt so shitty. Sorry, can I say that? Okay. <laughs> it's okay. I, um, I, I just felt so bad. And I think that whole day... My day was just totally ruined. I'm like, okay, maybe this is like horrible. And I just, I had a lot of self-doubt. I was thinking, okay, maybe the idea was just actually really bad. The timing is really bad. Maybe my pitch on the call was horrible. Like I just had a lot of self-doubt. And that's, I think the part of like being like a hustler, being a startup entrepreneur, like you just have to push through that. You can't have one bad phone call to bring you down. So the week after, like I made more calls. There's way more people that are excited about being in our beta group than that one person. Actually, thinking back, I think he was the only person who said no. So yeah, and then, you know, like I mentioned now, like moving forward, like like fast forward two years, we're doing really well. So I look back at that phone call and thinking like, thank God I did not give up because one person told me it's a bad idea. Thanks for sharing that story, right? I think always, sometimes that, the most negative remark is the most memorable one, right? And it like overtakes all the positivity that people send you, right? Yeah. So I, I think it's really important entrepreneurship to just sort of 
quote unquote block those out. You kind of yeah. ignore them because at the end of the day, it's like no one understands the vision better than yourself, right? No one understands the conviction totally. better than yeah. yourself. And it, yeah. it's going to take a while for people to see that. And once people see that, they're going to turn around and be like, that's a great idea, right? So I'm really Absolutely. happy. Really happy. Yeah. You did give up, you know, we so excited to hear your story in this podcast too. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, there's like a lot of up and downs. Like, I just want to touch up on that really quick. Like, it's totally true. And I think it's just, I think I'm personally, I'm still learning how to deal with all the ups and downs. You don't want to like, when something goes well, you don't want to get just ultra excited when something goes a little bit bad you're like oh no worst thing ever like you want to kind of balance it i'm not doing a good job at that when i'm when something great happens i'm like jumping out of my chair so excited when something slightly bad happens i'm like oh no so i'm still learning how to balance my own emotions and i think that's just something we're all we're all learning yeah yeah this is where we we have a lot of similarities because we basically start at the same time I, I, I like to celebrate the wins, right? Because you yeah. should. You should, you should totally. be happy about your progress and what you built so far. But amount, it's funny because I it's like in the morning, oh, great news. In the afternoon, oh, what the heck happened? And then in the afternoon, <laughs> later in the afternoon, oh, it's not so bad. So you go through your whole exactly. emotional arc the full arc, full circle every single day. And it's like, this is entrepreneurship. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's totally true. And I think I'm actually curious to hear like how you're dealing with this. For me personally, I found like having a great team and co-founder and other founder friends have been really helpful for like going through this. Like when we were pivoting from in-person to virtual, that was like by no means that was easy. Like it was like, oh my God, are we doing the right thing? Should we do this? There were a lot of you know, hesitation by co-founder and I, we were just like, we have to do this. Let's give it a shot. So it was very helpful to have a team to go through that together. And for, you know, having like other founder friends is like, you can easily share like just up and downs with someone else, like in totally different industry. I remember a couple of months ago, actually last year we had to, so You probably know this, but in order to hire somebody full-time outside of California or like a typical state that you're already already registered in, you have to go through state tax registration, which is a very manual process, depends on the state. So I had to do that last year for one of our employees. And I thought, man, I'm learning all these things that I don't actually want to learn. My head is always like reading all these like regulations and things like that. And I remember... Jumping on the call with another like founder friend, I was just, I briefly mentioned, man, like I'm going through this thing this week. It's taking up so much of my time. And she was like, that's so funny. I'm literally doing the same thing for this other state. So we just had like a blast, like just talking about how painful it is to go through this. And that was really helpful for my, for my mental health. Yeah. I mean, definitely have someone that's going through the same position as you helps a lot, right? Because you don't feel like you're alone. And a lot of times you feel like you're alone. And a lot of times you feel like, am I just slow? (laughs) 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 But I think having good people around you, having a great team really matters a lot. And also like for me, having this podcast too, right? I talked to over 150 entrepreneurs and your story and everyone else's story, I want to say is pretty similar. 
Yeah. And it doesn't matter yeah. which stage you are in your company. Everybody goes through this uncertainty of like, am I doing it right? Am I not doing it right? Yeah. So my biggest deduction from entrepreneurship is that no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's learning. <laughs> but maybe but, except for second time founders. <laughs> but still, there's always a lead that you're like, oh, I never done that before. <laughs> true. Very true. Yeah. So yeah. kind of curious. So, so did you guys go through a fundraising row? We did. So we raised the seed rounds around a year ago. Okay. And that was really interesting because that was, you probably heard this from other podcast guests. Uh, so everything was done on Zoom. And yeah, it was, we actually raised a uh, seed round that was, we raised like a very, very quick oversubscribed round very fast, which was awesome. Yeah. Walk us through that. What was the fundraising process like? I think a lot of people are really curious to hear about it, especially as, you know, we've been the founders, right? Because statistically, venture capital money goes is very, very low for minority women founders. And I want to hear from your experience, some of the the insight and challenges and tips that you have. Yeah, so I think, where should I start? I think one thing a lot of people have been talking about out there, which is actually true, which is you just do all your preparation beforehand for fundraising and then just line up all the things all at once instead of dragging it out for months. And one more thing to mention is just having, it's, it sounds like cliche, but having like a solid team really helps. So last year when we were doing fundraising, it was actually just me and my co-founder, two of us. And but one person has to run the company. We had customers, we had bookings, we had all this stuff going on. So he was like, my co-founder was, Awesome. He was like, let me take on these. You focus on the pitch deck. And so we were able to divide and conquer. And it was like really, really good. So I think having like a really solid team supporting this fundraising journey is really, really important. In terms of, I think the actual fundraising process, I personally love doing them on Zoom because it just, you can like squeeze so many meetings into one day because you don't need to travel anywhere. That's good to hear. I mean, for most people, I feel like fundraising is such a hard concept, right? And I feel like yeah. in the Asian culture too, it's like, we're not really conditioned to go out there and ask for help or money. So it's like, <laughs> how, how yeah. do you overcome that fear, right? And how did you prepare for the fundraising process? I know you mentioned that word earlier, I prepared. But what is preparation, right? What goes into it? What what kind of mm-hmm. you know, what kind of info goes into a deck? What is a what does the data room look like? You know, yeah. I so we didn't have a data room for the seed round. By the pitch deck, we put together like a draft pitch deck, and we had like friends, advisors that are either uh, have been a founder themselves or VCs have reviewed our deck many times, and we tweaked our deck like a gazillion times before it was ready to be shared. Uh, we also did a lot of practice pitching to each other among the founders. We also practice our pitches to, you know, friends and family members. So at the end, before we talk to like the first person, we were already like, like we know our numbers, we know our story, the deck is beautiful, like it's ready to go. Yeah. So that was how the process was like. And then there's like, you know, there's a lot of online resources on like how to write the pitch deck, what the slides you should include. So those are all also really helpful. 
Yeah, that's yeah. I feel like there's a lot of information out there, but thank you so much for sharing your insight as well. That's always yeah. appreciated. Yeah. So I fully believe that in entrepreneurship, that the company at the very beginning stages feeds off of you, right? It feeds off of your ambition, feeds off your vision. How do you take care of yourself? Because it's so easy to think about it all the time, right? Yeah. There's always a constant, I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, at least, there is always a constant fear that if I don't work hard enough, fail, <laughs> right? So how do you take care of your mental health and establish those boundaries? Um, I have to admit, I, I struggle with that for a bit too. And it's, mm-hmm. I like literally like never turn off my phone like 24 seven. And for me, it's like, if I miss this email, I miss this deal, our company's going to die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I hear you. Yeah. I think it's definitely a learning process. I'm still learning as well. And I've been like adjusting like my routine and everything so that I can be better with my own mental health. So I would say the first year of offsite, I don't think I had like any work-life balance. I wasn't working out, not just because of work, but because all the gyms I love to go were, you know, all became like online classes. And yeah, it was actually not very, not very healthy. And then I thought, okay, I have to make a change. I can't just be working all the time. And also I think, you know, when the founders are working nonstop and don't have a good work-life balance, don't care about mental health, that like gets into everybody at the company and that's not healthy. That's not the culture we want to build. So, so yeah, so a couple of things I started doing, I think it's helpful. (laughs) Number one, I started working out again, which is so helpful to just clear my mind. Number two is I um, recently, actually not recently, since like a year, I started going hiking uh, with my husband over the weekends, just like getting the nature, be like among the trees, you know, and talk about things, not about work. And that's like really helpful. And then um, let's see what else. Last week, I was talking to another founder friend and she gave me a tip, which I haven't started practicing, but I'm going to. So she actually goes on a uh, walk at 4 p.m. every day. So she would take some meetings at 4 p.m., while she's walking around just on the phone versus in front of Zoom. And I thought that's so good to just like have, like before when we were all working in the office, we had walking one-on-ones all the time, but now we don't do it anymore because it's on Zoom, but you can actually still do walking one-on-ones, just not like in front of Zoom, you can walk around your neighborhood. So I'm definitely going to start practicing that. Yeah, those are those are good tips. And I'm so glad you're starting to pick up that you need you need to make a change, right? It really takes care of that mental health because if you burn out, the whole company will feel it and your decisions won't be that great, right? So I feel like totally, it's almost, yeah. It's other underrated part of entrepreneurship is rest, right? Yeah. You need rest because you're gonna make great decisions whenever you take care of yourself. And what's that say? It's like your business grows faster when you work on your business instead of in your business. It's completely yeah. true. Yeah, it's completely it true. is. Yeah. And I think now, like as we scale the company, it's even more important now to like set what's the right culture. And my co-founder and I have been very conscious of trying not to send emails like late at night. If I really need to send an email, but I, it doesn't need to be like going out at night. I will schedule it to go out in the morning, things like that. So I think just little things, baby steps. One other thing is we do 
regular offsite events ourselves for obvious reasons. And that has been like, it's great for like team morale and mental health. Also brought us like a lot closer to the product because we all get to experience the product as a customer ourselves. I think that's really powerful, right? I don't want to call out companies that worked at in the past, but some of us don't even like using our own products. <laughs> you know, so I'm really, I'm really glad that you're able to incorporate your product into tea culture. And I want to quickly talk about that too. Like, what has what has been some of your challenges scaling and hiring the right people and building that culture? And what is your philosophy of hiring and barring? Yeah, so I think our so one of our core values is bias for action. And you see that every day in everyone, in, in everyone. So what I mean by that is the number one thing we look for is someone's in a way a hustler and entrepreneur in themselves. So to give you an example, um so <laughs> we have a customer support team for when people have issues or have questions about events, they reach out to us. And our customer support is a plus, we have people reaching back out to us or coming back to use Outside uh, later on and say, like, we had a great experience last time. The customer support team was so awesome, so helpful. And so for us, it's really bias for action. Take action today for whatever task you have at hand. Another example is actually, I would just use customer support as another example. So my co-founder and I, we actually sometimes still do customer support when the volume gets really, really busy and beyond what the support team can handle. So sometimes I would jump in or my co-founder would jump in. And I remember one time, one of our, one of our customers left a review for the event afterwards. And it was like, oh, we had a great time, blah, blah, blah. And then that person wrote, Emma from support team was also very helpful. We're just cracking up. But I think it's like, these are the kind of values we channel ourselves as founders. And we also, that's how we also hire people believe in the same thing. You make it happen. You take actions. Yeah, that's, I, I believe that too. I think that, I guess at the early stage, hiring hustlers makes a huge difference because you want someone that will go above and beyond to help the company at that stage because sometimes the yeah. roles and job description aren't clearly clearly defined and it yeah. shouldn't be right you need someone to come in and wear multiple hats because you don't know what kind of skill set you need to put out that fire you know yeah yeah totally yeah totally i also you know i think i remember when i was at lyft one of lyft's core value ways what was it <laughs> You know this above and beyond or something like that. I can't remember, but you see it everywhere. Like you see a lot of good people. They don't just do what the job description says, but they go beyond um, whether that's, you know, writing a documentation so that new hires have better onboarding experience or, you know, writing extra unit tests to make sure this feature in the future will not be buggy, all that stuff. So I think you see this like everywhere in, everything and it's so important yeah absolutely it, out of curiosity what is your philosophy with like the firing process if they don't fit the culture i i mean being a startup founder myself it's like you you realize that if someone's not doing the work not delivery it's it's actually in my opinion you kind of have to let them go as soon as possible because it does affect the morale right and i know each founder has a different philosophy regarding that 
I'm kind of curious, like, what was your philosophy with, like, the firing process? Yeah, so firing or, like, you know, having to let someone go is never an easy decision. You're, like, you're making a huge impact on the other person. I think for me, we definitely, or just in general, the number one thing is give that person plenty of feedback and even training or mentorship and plenty of opportunities to be better. And a lot of times, you know, when you have to let go of someone, they might not be like a bad person or anything. They're just maybe not the right fit for that particular role at that stage of the company. So I think like high level is just really approach the situation with with empathy and make sure they have all the tools and everything they need to succeed in this role. And only if they cannot achieve that, then you make the hard decision to let go someone. Yeah, that is that is a great answer, by the way. I I believe that everyone is good at something, but they have to find out what that something is, right? Yeah. Person may not fit well with where you're at, but they'll fit really well somewhere else. Right. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. So really love that uh like that answer a lot. I love a lot of the, the keywords that empathy, you know, is really pushing that forward. Yeah. So Emma, as you're nearing the end of the podcast, so we have one final question. What advice would you have for a software engineer? For a software engineer. Trying to get into entrepreneurship or thinking about it. Because I'm sure like as I don't know, I'm sure well, I'm speaking for myself and my peers too. We were entrepreneurs. We were not entrepreneurs. We were software engineers. We didn't even think about being an entrepreneur at all. It wasn't even like a thing we yeah. thought about, right? How about those those engineers who are thinking about entrepreneur wanting to make that jump? What what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I think I'm just gonna repeat myself from earlier, but it's definitely definitely bias for action slash go do it, make it happen. Um, that could mean write that first line of code for this side project or startup you have, or talk to that first potential customer, pick up the phone call, like whatever it is that the first step, just go do it. And I think it's easy to imagine like a hundred reasons why, like maybe you're not ready, or maybe you want to get this thing done and stuff like that, but just go do it. And I think another thing to mention is like, especially in terms of like, tech startup or software related things, it's very, very easy to have like a product in your head, go build this whole thing for like a year before you talk to another human and then realize, oh, maybe that's not something people really want. So like talk to somebody, a friend who could be a customer and just say, I have this idea, what do you think? Or write like a very simple prototype, not like a full-fledged feature. Yeah, so those would be my uh, advice. So bias for action, make it happen. I like that a lot. You know, action is key for anything, yeah. right? Yeah. And sometimes taking the first step is the most difficult. But once you get the ball, ball rolling, it, it makes things a lot easier. Totally. And I couldn't agree more. Talk to people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Talk to your customer. Yeah. I think a lot of people forget that. And sometimes you may build the best product in the world, but if no one uses it, you know, it's just a product. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, Emma, thank you so much for being on the show today. How can our listeners find out more about you, reach out to you online? 
Yeah, so I think easiest one is probably find me on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn or even just the direct email works too. So it's Emma at offsite.co. Offsite is uh, offsite with a Y. And that's pretty much it. Awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Emma. We'll leave all that in the show notes. And thank you again for being the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for tuning into the third episode of the Creative Visionary Series presented by Lexus. As part of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, we'll be celebrating the contributions of other leaders and creators in the community. Tune in on May 21st at midnight for our next episode with Vinay Shahani, Vice President of Lexus Marketing, as we discuss the positive impact Lexus has made on the Asian community.